0: Welcome to Strictly Business, Variety's podcast featuring conversations with industry leaders about the business of entertainment. I'm Cynthia Littleton, Managing Editor of Television for Variety, and today my guest in New York is Lowell Peterson, Executive Director of the Writers Guild of America East. Lowell is in his 10th year of running the Guild. He has revved up the organization with a busy agenda that includes lobbying hard for a diversity production tax credit in New York State. On his watch, the WJ East has made major strides in organizing among digital media outlets. In this interview, he talks about how writers have faced some financial hardships even with so much work available in these peak TV times. He also gives some insight into the effort underway with the Guild's West Coast cousin, the WGA West, to negotiate new rules of the business relationship between writers and their talent agents. Lowell Peterson. Executive Director of the WJ East. Thank you so much for stopping by.
1: Thanks for having me. It's great to see you again.
0: <laughs> um, it's been a very busy time for the Writers Guild East in the last last couple of years, but even just in the last six months, you have had no shortage of announcement about organizing, about act legislative activities that, that the union's been involved in. Um, I know one of the big things on your plate right now is a diversity tax credit that you and other organizations are trying to get passed in New York state that would that would expand the production tax credit system in New York state which is very generous and has been huge in bringing so much production to the Empire state it would allow employers who demonstrate a commitment to diversity in hiring at all levels of a production to take advantage of a diversity tax credit and it almost got through the legislature earlier this year but was vetoed by the governor can you tell us what the status of that legislation is?
1: Yes. Well, New York and New Jersey sort of have competing approaches. Uh, the credit in that we pushed in New York, and as you say, it it, it passed uh, actually last uh, session, and the governor vetoed it. And we're we are coming back for more. Uh, the legislature is out of session until January, but we've already been having meetings. Uh, really would build on uh, the success of the production tax credit, which has brought just enormous numbers of jobs to New York. I mean, New York was a wasteland for production for many years. TV sort of started here and it all moved west, and uh, if you were an actor or a a photographer or a sound person or you, you name it, you really couldn't make a living in New York. You would just scramble jobs together. And the production tax credit changed everything. It's now one of the biggest and most uh, quickly growing industries in the entire state, maybe in the entire East Coast. And it's all because of the tax credit. So we said, hmm, why don't we build on that successful model and apply it to diversity? Because we all know that there's a tremendous lack of diversity in the TV and movie business. So the credit that we got through the legislature, and we hope to get through again, we need to get the governor's support this time, would uh, apply the same rules, but it would apply uh, to companies that hired women or people of color to write or direct TV in New York. TV, we thought, was the most appropriate thing because... Writing and directing films tends to be unique. You know, there are other factors that go in. But with a TV show, you have a writer's room, sometimes 10, 15 writers who break the story and create the characters and work for six, eight months at a time. And directors have to come in for every episode. So this seemed to be the sweet spot. Uh, and we got a lot of allies. We worked closely with the Directors Guild of America on this. We've, we uh, got legislative sponsors Uh, All of the other entertainment unions supported the legislation, still do. Uh, The AFL-CIO supports it. We had a lot of advocacy groups like New York Women in Film and Television. And it made sense, you know, because if you have a problem, which the industry does, I think we all acknowledge it. We have a tremendous lack of diversity, not just on screen, but behind the camera. Storytelling is not as diverse as audiences. So we need to fix it. We need to fix it as a matter of social justice, but also, you know, because... In the long run, the industry can't can't prosper if it doesn't resemble the society that it's making stories for. So, that's what we hope to to accomplish. New Jersey's taking a slightly different approach. They just added a new tax incentive, uh, including the diversity component that you were describing. We're we're very enthusiastic about that. It covers writers. We hope to get some writers' rooms in New Jersey. So, things are looking up.
0: And it, but it was vetoed by Governor Cuomo because it because he said it was unfunded.
1: Yeah, it. it um, it was uh, unfunded. We tried to get him to put it in his budget, and he didn't do it. So it was a little, a little like the. Uh, anyway, it was uh, it was so unfunded because he, he didn't he didn't fund it. He
0: wouldn't fund it, <laughs> and then he vetoed it because it wouldn't be funded. Yeah, okay. it, was, it
1: was ironic. Uh, we're not really sure what the politics of the governor's decision were. He certainly has been a big supporter of the industry. Uh, Generally speaking, yeah, yeah. That, that's
0: why it was so surprising.
1: Yeah, we. I mean, we. We were up till literally midnight on the last day that he had to veto he didn 't do anything until about fifteen minutes to twelve and then we got the veto message and you know i don 't know we 're still trying to unpack the the politics of it. who is actually behind killing it because it 's hard to believe that the governor himself has a has a, an anti diversity agenda that 's just not who he is politically I, you know so we hope to address that. You know, there were, there were some technical issues that we mm-hmm. needed to address and we've done that. And so we, you know, we're we're going to keep plugging and it's got a lot of support and it'll it'll maintain support for the overall industry because you know, you need legislators to vote for these overall tax credits. This is a big subsidy of the entertainment industry.
0: Right. And every it, year they become, you know, every year they come up for review and there's always a certain amount of debate. Yeah. And it's hard, it's hard to look around New York State and say that this production t- tax cre- credit has, hasn't been worth it.
1: Oh, it's been tremendously worth it. I think there's going to be some some new research coming down the, uh, the pipeline that shows just how many jobs it's created. And it's been great. But it hasn't moved the needle on diversity. So the legislators say, look, we love supporting jobs. But we look around, and it doesn't reflect our communities. You know, legislators from upper Manhattan or the Bronx or Queens or up, upstate New York look around and they say, well, wait a minute, this is great, we love it, but when is this industry going to fix a problem? Why don't we fix the problem? I think that's why we we're able to get it passed through the, both the Assembly and the Senate, because it made a lot of sense to the folks whose constituents are looking at TV and saying, hmm, we could do better.
0: If having studied this issue, like, what – what did you what is the source of the continuing source of the problem of getting people into the pool of potential of of potential employment in f- film and tv is it really just that the that those first d- avenues of getting into the business are still closed to a lot of black and brown people
1: absolutely and women both all three all of the above it's it's an informal hire kind of place it's um a lot of industries had these problems Back in the 60s, you know, you didn't get hired because of any formal process. You got hired because of who you knew, and the same is true across the entertainment industry. People hire people they've worked with, they went to college with, they did, you know, a magazine in college with, whatever, and that tends to reinforce the current employment patterns. It's not. I don't think it's it's venal. I don't think there's conscious racism or conscious misogyny. There might be some. Uh, there might be certainly some unconscious, but I think it's mostly if you get your job through networks, um, the networks are, are just going to reproduce themselves. It's not a lack of talent either. It's interesting. We did a survey of our, of our TV and movie writer members and said, what do you think it is? Anonymous survey. Uh, is it a lack of talent or is it a lack of opportunity? And overwhelmingly, our members said, it's a lack of opportunity. There's plenty of talent. There's lots of bright... Diverse playwrights and novelists and aspiring writers. They're just, you know, when you get to the level of actually making a living writing, especially for TV, it's a hard door to get through. And when, yeah, once you're through, of course, you've, you've got to have the chops. You've got to be able to create characters and good stories and do it on time. But it's getting that first couple of rungs that's really hard. And then once you go up the ladder, of course, you confront a production system where People tend to produce shows from people that have a track record. So, this is why we thought that really putting money at the part of point of hire was going to be important. We don't. We also do training. The City of New York has funded a diversity training program for us. We're about to hopefully do it again. Um, it's been tremendously successful. Um, but ultimately, it's having access to the decision-makers at the, in terms of who hires at the writing and directing level, in terms of who greenlights series, in terms of who decides how many episodes to, to order. You know, these, these, this, the industry sort of top to bottom needs to pay more attention to this stuff because it's, uh, it's reflexes that are ingrained, and we have to figure out mechanisms to overcome that.
0: At, at a time when, you know, television can't get enough qualified showrunners and, and, you know, distinctive writing, there's so much demand for shows, it would seem like it'd behoove everybody to do whatever you can to expand the entire, again, the entire talent pool that can be drawn from.
1: Yeah, I agree. And I'll tell you, there used to be a sort of barely stated premise that only shows that are dominantly white guys would actually, people would only watch those shows. Nobody really wanted a diverse cast, diverse stories, more... Uh, you know, uh, less suburban, more urban uh, right. themes. It's that's just not true, you know. And I think we've seen that. We've certainly seen it in the film side, and I think we're seeing it increasingly on in TV. There's there's lots of audience out there for non-traditional stories, stories that are more uh, diverse in origin and economics, and different classes are represented. It's uh, and also I think as we see that. Um, Series that ha- that don't have to appeal to everybody in America at 9 o'clock on Friday night. Those are great series, but th- there's room for smaller shows. And that, I think, will help as well. You know, you can take a chance on an 8-episode or a 12-episode show that maybe you wouldn't if for a full network primetime season.
0: Right. And you have to worry about will it, will it sell in Germany and will it sell in, you know, uh, all around the world. That, that used to be... It was, it was probably never true, but there used to be that maxim that, you know, international sales also helped to kind of reinforce that sort of white-majority uh, approach to television programming. And as we know, as just about everything else about the industry, all of those rules are out the window and can be proven to be demonstrably false. So. Yeah.
1: yeah, the numbers are not lying. That's just thankfully people are, taking it, are willing to, to give it a shot and succeed.
0: So when the legislature is back in session in January, you'll be that you and the uh, other guilds and activists will be in there um, fighting again for the diversity we tax will,
1: credit. We will, and we anticipate getting support again. It's it's uh, history is with us on this one. We just have to make sure the votes are there
0: and the funding. Gotcha. Yes,
1: right, and uh, the governor can fund it.
0: Yeah, gotcha. Um, let's talk about another complicated issue that's that's in the in the ether right now for writers. Um, I know that. The WGA East and the WGA West, your counterparts on the West Coast, are talking right now, are in the middle of really trying to sort out some a complicated issue with the the advocacy group for talent agencies, this association of talent agents. And there's a lot of decades old rules that you would like to see revised to have a little more sort of governance on how talent agents that represent writers You know what the rules of the road for those companies in terms of them being also active on the production side, as we are seeing, some of the larger agencies are starting to diversify and get sort of directly into production, which has for a long time been considered, you know, uh, a big conflict of interest for an agent to also be involved on the production side. Can you talk about sort of the state of play in that process right now?
1: Yes. Well, so we have a, uh, a franchise agreement with with the agents. Both the East and the West are parties to that agreement. It was last negotiated in the Gerald Ford administration. Uh, when I talked to members about that, they all sort of groan. It's true. Nobody has tried to renegotiate these terms for generations now. So that by itself means we, we had to do something. Um, there was a process in that agreement that gave us the opportunity to give a notice of termination and then propose changes. So we've done that, and that we did that in April. Uh, haven't really had I wish I could tell you we've had all kinds of robust conversations it's it's a little early for that but uh, we did make some proposals um, it is very popular with our members, I talk to a lot of members about it, they think um, everybody has a different view of what their own agent and agencies in general. Some people love their agents. Some people hate their agents. Some people wish they knew who their agents really were. You know, so it's <laughs> a, it's like anything else. There's plenty of agent jokes around uh, around in the industry. But fundamentally, the conflict of interest thing is something that has concerned us. Um, there are ways in which the agencies sit on the other side of the table, and and our concern is that that creates a disincentive uh, for the agencies. To actually fight for our members—that's really fundamentally what it's about. Now, what the solution is to that problem, I don't know. You know, we have a lot of ideas, we have a lot of proposals, um, but that—it's um, you know—the kinds of things that have. Developed over the years in the agency world would never be allowed to develop in the attorney world or what have you. You know, you you can't represent both sides of a transaction. You can't have your economic interests aligned with the other side, which we're concerned is a product of some of the deals that some of the agencies have been making. So we we need to really uh, learn more uh, details about how those arrangements work, producing. Being producers, clearly, if you're hiring our members, you can't then negotiate with yourself. You know, uh, the, the, the guilds, the Writers Guild East and the Writers Guild West, we set minimum terms. We set the minimum pay terms for initial compensation, residuals, benefits. Uh, what the agents are supposed to do, in addition to, I don't know, uh, Lubricating the gear so that people get more jobs. They're supposed to negotiate above minimum. Right. What we have seen
0: fiercely is, it, is
1: you know. yeah, it's it's going down. I mean, people are getting paid increasingly, sort of what we set, and that's I mean, we I, I think our minimums are good, but historically, particularly if you've been in the industry for a while, in order to pay your mortgage and put shoes on your your kids' feet, you need to make above minimum, uh, and that has been. Decreasingly true, and that's been the agent's job. So we we do the math. We say, well, look, we know that the agencies are relying more and more on other deals, deals where they're not making more money by getting more money for our members, and we see uh, above minimum compensation declining. What does that mean? Well, so I don't I don't have any inside story for you, but we are we are in that process. We've had lots of discussions with our members. We do have. Uh, uh, we've requested modifications, and you know stay tuned um, uh,
0: do you feel like it's that there's a that there's a pathway to a real dialogue there or you feel like you're getting a lot of opposition from the guilds in terms of approach unpacking this issue
1: oh I don't I think it's too early to say I think it's too early to say you know I think uh you know the thing is, it's uh, it's a negotiation it hasn't started really in in earnest, um, so we just don't know. The one thing is, it's interesting is that since no one has done it, at least on the writer's side, f- since the Gerald Ford administration, it's it's you know when we sit down with the AMPTP to negotiate a new collective bargaining agreement, or I sit down with the digital companies or CBS News, you know we sort of have an idea of the rhythm and what's possible what's not possible what the leverage points are what they aren't so we'll see you know we'll see how how similar that is uh, but uh, it is it is something that we take seriously and our members take seriously and uh, I'm sure I'm sure the agencies take it seriously I don't I can't speak for them at all but uh, it is it uh, a it is a big business. It is a business that has changed tremendously since 1976. So you know, <laughs> back we in the days pace. when
0: nobody wanted to come to New York to film a TV show,
1: <laughs> exactly, exactly. In fact, there was a there was a, there was still a radio business in New York then, <laughs> which there still is a little bit. But yeah, it's completely different now, and and we need to keep pace. And look, agencies are. Uh, they're acting in their own rational interest. We get that. They're they're going into different different areas. Mm-hmm. They're going outside of entertainment altogether. How how does that impact them? I don't know. Right. I, don't it's, know.
0: I mean, it's a, it's you know. I mean, this you could say this every day now that we wake up. I mean, it is a very interesting and very like fast moving time mm-hmm. in the industry and from the agency's perspective, it's a you know they they have had a lot of changes just in their. In their, you know, in their, in their basic revenue base, and and I think they see it as a as a diversification play, and that they're that they are different components of a single company, but very different entities. But I think the the gray the gray areas there are probably the areas of concern.
1: Yeah, yeah, and of course, in an ideal world, which we in the labor movement like to aspire towards, you your only interest is making sure that your client gets the maximum possible value from the project, and that's. Uh, that's a world we would love to inhabit. We'll see. Uh, it's not the world I think that people inhabit right now. I mean, we have people who have agents and managers and attorneys, and right. it's all coming out of their pockets. That's and a lot
0: of percents, yeah. Yeah,
1: go yeah, 25 if you add it all up. Yeah. It's, uh, or, or not if there's a package involved, but uh, that's another story. <laughs>
0: that's a whole other kettle of fish, yeah. <laughs> but it is, I mean, to that point, it is It is a kind of a best of times i won't say worst of times but it is it is not although there are a gazillion shows and a lot of demand there that all of that all of that production has kind of had a an effect of really creating a lot of you know very very top echelon people people you know like the ryan murphy's of the world commanding nine figure deals and then a lot of pressure on the on the kind of the great middle Mm -hmm. of people that do a lot of the day-to-day you know the grunt work, if you will, of writing. That there has been. You know, we we heard that a year ago when when both guilds were very, you know, adamant about negotiating some new terms in the WJ's overall master agreement that covers most, you know, film and television production. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, and you were successful in getting some in really moving the studios as a. You know, I'm a longtime observer of guild um, negotiations you did you were able to achieve far more than i thought you would in this negotiation in terms of having the the networks and studios address the issues that that writers are facing yes there's more work than ever but it's but now you have to have 3 and sometimes 4 jobs in a year where you used to have one that would pay you a you know that would pay you a good living yeah. Again, a high class problem for a high class industry, but a real a real problem nonetheless.
1: Um, yeah, we actually had to address that in two negotiations. The fundamentally the the change in the production model or the distribution model whatever you, it used to be and a lot of our terms were set up as if everybody was still doing full season network primetime shows,
0: meaning a 22 or 24 episode run from a September to May season yeah. that you that really ran on a very strict calendar. That's not the world we live in anymore.
1: It's not. And there, as you say, there are many more opportunities because there are many more shows, but a lot of them are a lot shorter. So that you don't work as long, or, or sometimes you don't work as long. You don't get paid as long, and that's what we had to deal with last year. A lot of the economic deals were um, took notice of the fact that these were short order seasons, you know, not as many Six episodes. episodes,
0: ten episodes, yeah, twelve but episodes. but a lot of people
1: were still working a long time, right. and they were not getting paid appropriately. So we had to address that last time. And in 2014, we had to address, address the fact that a lot of people were being held after the end of the series, so that they would they couldn't ply their trade. They couldn't go actually go to another By another an
0: exclusive series. option in yeah. the contract. So yeah. we,
1: mad, we made some real progress in that. So both of those negotiations, mm-hmm. I think, addressed sort of the change in how TV is made from the traditional long series, long seasons to mm-hmm. shorter seasons. And it's, it's been good. To, to, we haven't done enough. We have to do more. But it's it, we addressed structural issues. In the industry, and I think that's been a uh, good for our members. And
0: you, the feedback you've had from members is that it has made a difference. Yes. Now that it's been a little more than a year that that contract is, yeah. Well, in. the
1: the twenty seventeen stuff not didn't it didn't all kick in because a lot of seasons were already underway. And so, it
0: covered future yeah, shows, yeah, yeah.
1: But uh, it's so far it looks good. We're hearing the we're hearing. Um, I'm sure we're going to need to make some tweaks, on both. Uh, and we did make a tweak in the in the short seasons thing uh, last time. So, but I think we made we set the foundation for real progress.
0: At the risk of sounding Pollyanna-ish, would you say that in the twenty seventeen negotiation that you that there was a a real give and take in terms of as you as the guilds put the issues on the table to the, the to the AMPTP, which represents the networks and studios? You know, it sounded like at the very least they were listening. Yeah, no, around. I think
1: that's right. I think that's right. I mean, as a as a union negotiator, um, it's important to keep both dimensions in mind. One is rationality, give and take, reason, uh, careful argumentation. The other one is, frankly, leverage. Mm-hmm. You know, and they're both important. If you think that the only thing you need to do to make gains is to beat the other side over the head. Which we sort of did with a big strike authorization vote. You're probably not going to get that much. On the other hand, if you think you can just go in and reason, and you don't have any power behind it, you probably won't get much either. The in, last year, both came together. We had we had a membership that was um, inspired both on on this issue and also on uh, changes we needed to make to shore up our health fund. Mm-hmm. Both of, both were critical, and we also yeah, I think we had a compelling case. You know, we looked at the numbers and we said, look, you've changed your model. We need to change the compensation model in these particular ways. So I think, yeah, there was a, there was a good give and take, and it was backed up by by some some muscle.
0: Real progress is always measured in in inches. It's true. Um, and speaking of negotiating and organizing, you've had the the East has had a slew of um, organizing successes. You've you've been doing a lot of New York based digital or East Coast based digital media mm-hmm. firms. Um, a little outside of the of what what you would consider the traditional film and television scripted or news writer. Um, can you talk about the reception that you've had at some of the places that you've organized, like Vox, um, some of the other companies that you've been successful with?
1: It's been tremendous. We have had enormous success in digital, digital native news. We got into it partly because it is adjacent to our broadcast news membership, but you're right, it's not identical to it. A lot of these places have a lot of video uh, most of them would like to do more video news. Um, Facebook is making that a little difficult, but the response we've been getting from the from the journalists who work at these places, Vox, Vice, we, we have the TV and digital side at Vice now, Vice Land, the HBO show, uh, Huffington Post, Gizmodo Media Group, Think Progress. Uh, we're, we're we've we've achieved f- several really good first contracts, major wage gains. We're at the table with six or eight more right now. We represent thirteen to 1,500 of these folks right now, and we represented a small handful three years ago, more three and a half years ago. What We, we didn't know what we would encounter. It's a different workforce. It's not a unionized industry. These are not people who came in thinking, oh, I'm going to have a union job. Oh, this, this, is, this is the way of the world. They came in thinking, no, oh, this is not a union job. They tend to skew younger, a lot of quote-unquote millennials, The rap on quote-unquote millennials was always, oh, they don't care about anybody but themselves. They're apathetic. They're narcissistic. They don't want to get involved. Totally false. Very interested in being involved. Um, Not a lot of labor movement experience, but environmentalism, feminism, LGBTQ. There's been a lot of sort of spirit of action. Um, And we, by the way, we started having these successes before the presidential election, but that has also inspired people to get active. It's like prairie fire. I mean, it's we 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 have to select targets. You know, there are so many folks at so many companies that come to us that say we think collective bargaining can work for us. We think we can make real gains in money and benefits. We think, more importantly, we can have a real voice on the job. A lot of these places are have a sort of a startup mentality. Whatever whim happens to come through management's head one day gets implemented, and next week something changes. Um, people don't like that. People like to have uh, a voice. They want to have rules. They want to have transparency. Uh, so it's been great. I mean, we've been tremendously successful. We've managed to win voluntary recognition, covering almost fifteen hundred people, uh, and great contracts um, covering a lot of people, and. The thing that's interesting is this group of folks really demand engagement. They don't, they don't say, well, well, negotiate my contract and leave me alone for three years. They want to be involved in the life of the union throughout. So it's been really good. Uh, we have experience with that, you know, because our TV and movie art writers are freelancers. So right. it's not like everybody has the same job. And they just they, they don 't hear from the union in order to represent freelance TV and movie writers and SVOD writers, you know we have to be affirmative, we have to reach out and figure out ways to make sure that they come to the union office or come to programs or you know build solidarity so that experience I think helped us organize this traditionally non union sector and it 's been amazingly successful
0: so that 's a big membership boost for you. I imagine it would change some of the, some of the sort of uh, profile of the union.
1: Yeah, it has, although I'll tell you, with the with the advent of peak TV, mm-hmm. our TV membership has grown uh, almost as much really? in the same mm-hmm. period. Yeah, a lot more people working on a lot of shows. So uh, the freelance TV side and movie side, movie's been sort of stable. It's, it's an interesting industry with its own dynamics, but uh, it's sort of kept pace. But, uh, yeah, uh, we have grown a lot. We've grown about 30% in the last three, five years, I'd say.
0: That's incredible. Yeah. What is your total membership now?
1: It's over 5,000. Wow. Yeah. Well, we have a couple of contracts we have to bring in. You can't join the union until you're covered by a contract that's signed. So we have a few of those we have to sign, but we'll be well over 5,000. In fact, we'll be probably at 6,000 once we finish up the next uh, round of negotiations. So it's it doesn't sound like much, but in this industry, in the East Coast, it's a lot.
0: For, for this country to have any union that could say that they have had membership grow by 30 percent that's that's pretty incredible in these times
1: yeah it's inspiring a lot of people are coming to work for the union saying wow what do you guys what, what's your secret sauce <laughs> but it's it's hard work you know we have really good organizers we have really good negotiators really good communicators we have programs that you know bring people in we have people coming to our screenings and our panel discussions a lot of the issues that are important to us are important to, to new members. The diversity initiatives we talked about, and we have many more, people really care about that stuff. They say, oh, this is a union that, that walks the walk. It doesn't just talk the talk. So we'll have a diversity event, and people from all of our genres will be there. People will will write to their assembly people in, <clears throat> in Albany from digital shops and broadcast shops and TV shows and movies, and it's... It's a good mix also in New York because we're not really a company town. and you know, It's not like everybody works for Hollywood. Right. People do a lot of different things, and the union is a little bit more central, therefore, to their creative lives.
0: I'm guessing that some of these <laughs> 20, 20-somethings probably have a spec script or two in their drawer, and joining the union is a great networking and a, just a great facilitator to career development.
1: Yeah, and also comedy. You know, We just organized the onion. Uh, we had organized their TV show a few years ago, and a lot of those folks are in comedy variety late night in New York now. So there's there's definitely room for satirists, <laughs> as well as... For sure. Uh, <laughs> and then a lot of people do go from journalism to, to scripted. It's, uh, it's that, that insight, that incisiveness, that analysis. You know, some of the biggest... Well, movie writers started as journalists. It's, uh, it's a good set of skills to have and they get to they get to rub elbows with people who have been doing it for a while.
0: Mm-hmm. And you do have nice events I've been to. I've been to a bunch of them. They're really nice screenings. Um, you you're now in your 10th year yeah. as the executive director of the East and um, I'd be curious if you can remember when you when you first came into this industry what your perceptions were. Did it surprise you that there I mean Hollywood it's always I've always noted that Hollywood is really it has always embraced its unions, its guilds. Its guilds are almost, it's almost like, you know, Hollywood does have a bit of a velvet rope complex <laughs> and the unions are that step. Like you can call yourself a writer or a director, but if you don't have a WGA card or you don't have a DGA card, you know, it, it means you're, it's, it means you're taken seriously. It's It means you're in the club. Did that dynamic, did that surprise you when you took this job?
1: Well, I anticipated it. There are some other unions that have that, you know, in the, uh, from the skilled trades side, but I think what I think you're right. I think what's um, what's important is that it's it is a guild as well as a union, and it is a a mark of professional commitment and accomplishment. And we have a lot of members of the Writers Guild of America East who are at a point in their career where they're not working for any minimum that we negotiate; <laughs> they're way above it, and yet they still remain devoted to the union. They help us with organizing. They help us. Do lobbying. They help us figure out how to build pressure. They figure out how to bring people into the union. They mentor. They talk to people. They help people with their careers. So it, yeah, it is. It is a. We like to call ourselves the center of people's professional and, and creative lives, and that stays with people as they move through their careers. Uh, so it is different. I think it's, you know, it's also an industry that's in significant transformation. Um, which yeah. is that's not unusual that's true in the economy but boy the industry in the 10 years I've been here is completely different when we when when the strike happened you know 10 years ago people said well digital digital this new media it's not it's not new anymore <laughs> it's, it's it's media it's digital and and the focus was maybe more on you know just streaming and that's important but it's become so much more you know made for digital is much more important Viewer uh, ex- expect expectations are different. People expect to watch things on demand. That's going to completely change the way content is is funded and produced and distributed and
0: and ma- and profited and yeah. how how the studios make a profit. And I know that's always been. You know, when when there's a change in the profit model, that's when inbe- inevitably and invariably there's going to be some conflict in how how to divide up the divide up the spoils.
1: Yeah, and we've had those conversations at the bargaining table. And frankly, the fact that we do have such a strong relationship with our members is going to be helpful. Because my view, and I think history will prove me right, we shall see, is that the need for skilled storytelling on the fiction side and also the news side is going to only increase. Because... The, the, the models, uh, the expected models where you just turn on your TV or you just open up your newspaper and that's all that's that and, and you just absorb whatever content gets sent your way, I think that's gone people, the audience, the viewer, the reader has a lot more discretion so the quality has to be better and you've got to give
0: you, them a reason to seek it out
1: they have to seek it out, exactly right and I think what they will seek out is quality and what our members do is quality so, I think our members will prosper, but I think you know one of the things I've learned in ten years is the union has to continually adapt also we have to listen as much as we give speeches and uh, and i th- we have, and I think that's been one of the reasons we've been so successful we've We've organized a lot of digital people, reality TV people, our TV membership is growing, and it's not because we sit back and we say, "Well, we already have all the answers mm-hmm. don't bother me we We spend a lot of time learning from our members as well as trying to Make uh, make the road.
0: Listening in the trenches. Yeah. yeah. Lowell, I can't thank you enough for stopping by and talking to us about these issues. I really appreciate it.
1: It's been a pleasure.
0: Thanks for listening. Be sure to join us next week for another
1: episode of Strictly Business.